So it is what it is. So, um, so let's fast forward a little bit. We'll kind of we'll switch topics. Um, you and I have worked together before. We've worked, you know, a couple of different cases and and uh, <laughs> had some good times. Um, you know, no need to really get into that, but uh, I will say that uh, if you've never seen a breach of a door from a flying karate kick, um, then you have not done a search warrant or an undercover investigation with Mike Berry. Um, that was probably one of the most awesome breaches I've ever seen in my life. Um, and uh, it had an impact on some of our guys, um, you know, but... Um, and then we worked together on a lot of different other cases that you guys would lean on, you know, the Secret mm -hmm. Services resources for, you know, cell phone tracking and other investigative measures that we would help you guys with. Um, a lot of people, even in the Galveston County area, have no idea of, you know, my involvement in some of these cases because, you know, as well as I do, is like we would come in in the middle of the night, we would assist you guys, and then we were kind of out. Yeah. You know, we would would help y'all get what y'all need. And we didn't want any type of recognition. Some of these things I've never spoke of publicly on, you know, there was multiple cases that we helped you guys with, you know, homicides, attempted murders, um, other homicides with other jurisdictions in Galveston County. Um, you know, our, our thing was at the time is that, you know, we, we essentially help you catch them, but you clean them, Yeah. you know, and then we move on and, and, and don't want our name mentioned in the media. And so there were tons and tons of those. That, you know, I can recall um, being the case agent um, for all of Galveston County, and it was beautiful for me uh, because I grew up there. I knew you guys, you know, um, even as a child, and then now I'm working with y'all later on in life in different aspect, and uh, I'll never forget that. You know, I learned a lot. I want to talk about a couple more things. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about is it's obvious that some of these things have had a an adverse effect or a negative effect on you, um, myself included, um, other law enforcement. I don't think that that law enforcement officers get the support that they need um, from multiple different levels, uh, from whether it be their command staff, whether it be uh, whatever municipality um, or jurisdiction that they work for at the, at the local state or federal level. Um, you know, Brent Cooley, who's a good friend of mine, you know, Brent, he likes to refer to this as the slow drip where um, law enforcement is, is um, exposed to a tremendous amount of stress, a tremendous amount of, um, you know, things that the, the general public never get to experience. Uh, and, and it's there's a reason why. Uh, but the constant stress and anxiety of dealing with people at their worst moments, um, seeing the most horrific things that, that someone could even imagine have a tremendous effect on us. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Have you experienced that? Um, what can be done better? Well, first of all, let me say this. <clears throat> I'm old school, as you well know, and I need to say this because when I was coming up, and it still might be now, but when I was coming up, you don't show your emotions. Yeah. You keep it in. 
I remember the first time I ever saw a, a dead body. Mm -hmm. You know, it was an MVA motor vehicle accident and a motor, uh, motorcycle. And this lady was riding on the back of motorcycle. And something happened, I can't remember. I was on patrol at the time. Probably this might have been 76. But you know, they have some road signs that this sign might have multiple signs on it. Yeah. So it kind of goes up in a Y. Yeah. Somehow something happened to where they got over this way and it decapped her. Okay. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a body. And I had no idea what to do. Now, I'd been on the road in the field for about a year. And I think to myself what the public was thinking, because I actually kind of was going around like, what, what do I, what the fuck do I do? I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And, you know, back in those days, you had a sergeants, patrol sergeants that, you know, they could give it, they're just waiting for their retirement. Yeah. You know, anyways, that had an effect on me. And in fact, I had forgotten about it. More and more has come out of my head in the past three years than anything. And I mean, yes, it has had an impact on me. During the time, the 43 years that I was a cop, 38 of it is all investigations. Mm -hmm. um, I was only on patrol for about four or five years. Blessed, fortunate, however you want to be. Uh, so, and in 1988, no, sir, 89, I was offered a position to be a, a part-time job, to be an ME investigator. Yeah. And the time that I took it, I happened to be police chief at the time at Santa Fe. So I took the job, and I kept that job for 32 years. So with that 43, inside that 43, I have 32 years. So that's why I, you know, I say, man, I've done... I can't even count. I know well over a thousand bodies. And that's natural. That's, right. you know, fatal and this, that, and the other. Well, since I retired, um, you know, for those that are in law enforcement or have been, um, I volunteered to, you know, retire. I mean, I was I was working in, in charge of narcotics at the time, and I was just burnt. I'd been doing this for 43 years, and I was, you know... I was getting older. I was 62 at the time, maybe 63. So I walked in the captain's office one day and I said, uh, hey, I'm just going to turn my papers in. He said, he said uh, well, I don't know if you should do that. He said, have you talked to the sheriff? And I said, uh, no. I figured you'd tell him, you know. No, you need to go talk to him. So I went down there and I talked to him. And basically, he, I didn't know the transition that was happening at that time. My captain was being promoted to major. Um, and other changes were taking place. So they offered, the sheriff wanted to offer me the captain's position over CID. And I'm telling you, Mike, I, I was really ready to go. But then I thought, you know, I was divorced for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I focused on my career during that time, my career and my kids. And uh, I said, can I think about it? He said, you got till tomorrow morning. Okay. So I thought... You know, he's going to be sheriff, you know, another two years in this term. Yeah. I can stick it out for two years at captain's rank, help my retirement. So, yeah. you know, I decided after six months, I said, I'm out. 
I'm done. Right. I don't want, I want to be out there, but I'm burnt out. So I left. The end of April 2018, I was this. The next day, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with myself. Yeah. I was lost. Single, lost. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Questioning your purpose. Questioning my purpose, my identity. Uh, and it even continued on really up until probably a year ago. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I still battle with it a little bit. Well, I think we all do. And, and that's... I loved my job. Yeah. I loved what I did. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is um, we all have this tremendous sense to serve, right? And when you've done it for a very long time, I had not even close to 43 years. Um, you know, to this day, I still question whether what I'm doing is right. I know what I'm doing is right because that's what I feel like God's put me in a position to do uh, because I truly do not feel that there's going to be anybody more passionate than I to do what I do. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other people out there, but I, I just know that I'm willing to go the entire length to make sure that what I do is done right yep. and it's done to protect people. I'm a natural born protector. That's just the way that I'm made. I, and, and you know, the older I get, the more I see society trying to change me. Uh, you can't say that, Mike. You can't do this, Mike. People are not going to appreciate your honesty. And the older I get, the more I say the world needs men like us. And, um, I will admit, admittedly, there's been times where I've held back when I probably shouldn't have. Um, I've always been the guy in the room that is not afraid to say what uh, other people or most people are thinking. They just don't have the courage to say it. Um, but at some point, it becomes a blessing and a curse mm. to be, you know, uh, the protector of people. Um, because of the trauma that you, that you suffer. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm adamantly uh, uh, talking about is mental health mm -hmm. for men. Right. Yes. And like I said earlier, and what we're talking about now is the slow drip, the impact that a trauma field life has on, on men and women in this space, whether it be, you know, Secret Service, FBI, you know, local law enforcement, state law enforcement, military. Um, nothing against our military men and women mm -hmm. because yeah, right. they absolutely deserve everything that we can give them. They absolutely deserve the best. But the, I, I, I frequently think that we do a disservice to the men and women at the local level that are dealing with our society uh, that are in that are in uniform. Uh, we don't do a good job of making sure that their mental health is intact and that they have the resources that they need. You know, we can cite uh, incident after incident after incident in your career. Let's just talk about your career alone. At what point, having dealt with all of these traumatic events in your life, did anybody ever come to you and say, hey, you know what, Mike, I think you need to go to therapy and talk to someone about your mental health, you know, um, it, it, did anybody ever come and, and, and offer that to you? 
I mean, outside of just a friend being a friend, hey, yeah. we need to talk, you're kind of off no, course. No, they never did. Nobody officially in an official capacity ever came to you. The only time that was ordered was when I was involved in a shooting. And and that was really to cover their ass. Pretty much, honest. probably, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that, that pretty much. Um, it was one of several shootings that I was involved in, and, and uh, I told the person that ordered me, I said, I will not talk to a counselor unless they're retired law enforcement or have been involved in a shooting. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and talk to anybody else but that because they nobody else will understand. They can't relate. No, they can't relate. Yeah. They cannot relate. And you know that. And yeah. every the audience that are in law enforcement or, or military, they know the same thing. The military is definitely not taken care of, especially yeah. right now. So I, I wanted to comment about that, what yeah. you said a while ago. The the military, I mean, 22 a day, mm-hmm. you know, look, it, the first time I put a pistol in my mouth was about five days after I retired. The devil over here and God over here. And thank you, yeah. I went with this one. Right. But then there was another time, you know, and I was in a very, 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 very dark place. <laughs> I had no, I'm like, okay, I've got all this money. You know, it's a good retirement. I've got all this money. I'm by myself. I have nobody to share this with. Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore what I was. It's over. Yeah. And then the thing started coming back. I'll I'll tell you another quick one real quick. This is when I was on patrol. And I had forgotten about this until about nine months ago. And it just popped back into my head. I was driving down Highway 6 one night on patrol. This is back when it was just four lanes, no emergency lane on Highway 6. And uh, I just happened at 2 o'clock in the morning, 2.30. And I happened to see in the rearview mirror just this bright light. And I looked at it, and it was like an explosion and fire. What the fuck is you know, I turn around and I haul ass up to the and where what had happened was a pickup truck with three kids were driving down Highway Six. A car was backing out from a house. They tried to avoid the wreck and or they jerked the wheel, went across, hit a culvert, and exploded. When I got on the scene, they were still screaming. Oh man! And I engulfed in flames. Totally engulfed in flames. <clears throat> And I could not help them. They all died that night? Yes. Yeah. What year was that? That would have been 76, 77. Oh, okay. That was, uh, for the for the audience, that was a year before I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you have to look at this, man. I mean, for 43 years, you had experienced trauma. In 43 years, not a single individual at a command staff level had come to you to check on your well-being. No. What if we changed that dynamic? What if we required um, someone in the command staff to just check on people? Mm-hmm. And it, this doesn't just apply to law enforcement. This applies to society. You know, we talk about uh, extreme violence or the rise in violence in, in our schools, in our shopping malls, in our grocery stores. 
those individuals, it goes back to what I said earlier, is behavior patterns tell you everything that you need to know about these individuals. There hasn't been a shooter yet or a person who's inflicted that much violence on someone that they did not exhibit some type of sign or symptom of pre-attack behavior. I'm willing to bet that if we went back and we looked at Riley Ann Sawyer's mother and her stepfather, one of them, because I truly believe that she was coerced into that particular type of behavior, which led to the death of her child, um, and I truly believe that if she could go back and change it now, she probably would. But I believe, and this is just my speculation, that if you go back and look at the behaviors of the stepfather, there was some type of concerning behavior that was never addressed. You don't wake up one day and impose your will on a two-year-old child to the point where you kill her. There are boundaries inherently that we, that the majority of us have. There are some people that are just complete psychopaths, and maybe that's what he was. I don't know. Um, but we've got to change the dynamic in the United States where we're starting to take care of each other not just law enforcement, just we have to take care of each other. We have to be able to be Riley Ann Sawyer's grandmother to know intuitively something is wrong. I haven't talked to my daughter. I haven't seen my granddaughter. You've got a child that looks like my grandchild that is being broadcast on TV. I recognize that shirt. If you have all of those things telling you something wrong, there's probably something wrong. Yeah. Listen to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, in the space in which I'm in, you know, we, we primarily focus on schools, but we do, you know, workplace violence for various different verticals and industries and, you know, whatnot. The behaviors of the individuals who cause the harm are always going to tell you what's wrong. No, no fucking camera, no access control, no lock on some bullshit fucking door that these people are trying to sell. Sorry about my language, but... It is what it is. That shit's not going to stop anything.